podcast, Greater Than Yourself, Season 3. Do you have an idea for an episode or question for John and Fred? Email us at podcastgreaterthanyourself at gmail.com or contact us on Instagram at podcast underscore greater underscore than underscore yourself or doctor underscore silkworth. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast Greater Than Yourself. I'm your host, Agent X. And I'm Mrs. Jones. And today we are here with our guest, Dirtbag Sponsor. Welcome, Dirtbag Sponsor. Thank you so much for having me. We're here today to talk about two wives. And I hate to break this to you guys, but like I was exactly this many years sober when I realized it doesn't say to the wives, which grammatically really pisses me off. <laughs> is there, here's a question. That's the part that pisses you off. Yeah, this is the only thing about it which upsets me, right? Here's a question. Is there something that took you a shockingly long time to learn in AA that you had no idea? Like, here's another one, right? I didn't actually understand what the word principle meant until about two years ago. <laughs> I was just completely <laughs> making up the difference between a principle and institution. And I was too afraid to ask because there's things in AA like you're just too afraid to ask about or that you just <laughs> refuse to admit you didn't know. Well, what I'm admitting to you right now is I was exactly this amount of sobriety. It was this year when I realized that it actually says yes. two wives and not two oh, wives. <laughs> I, I love, love it. I love it. I have, well, in my defense, I was only 30 days, but I got a nice, yeah, (laughs) I got a nice little humility check. I was leading a meeting and this just shows you, I had no, I didn't even know what the word gratitude was. I was up there saying gratefulness. Like I said, gratefulness like 50 times. And then mid meeting the, like our local, like sweet homeless man, but he's, he's like the homeless man of the meeting um starts using gratitude but he's looking at me like as if he's correcting me and I understood what he was doing and I was like wow and like that's exactly what I needed at 30 days sober thinking that I knew everything about recovery so yeah that's mine (laughs) at 30 days sober they ended up changing the format of the meeting I was attending to read please don't cross talk because of my (laughs) cross talking <laughs> it was you that started the whole thing. With me, I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know. You mentioned two wives. The chapter we agnostics. Mm-hmm. I thought it was two agnostics. Like nice. atheists can skip it, right? <laughs> True People believers who believe can in God it. can skip yes. it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So but John no. Barley Corn and I were discussing this a while ago about, um, you know, doing a little takeover and talking about two wives and me and some of my gang gang, because what's the truth is that this couldn't be more relevant right now. The issues in protestations and Alcoholics Anonymous, especially this chapter, you know, some of the language using all these conference topics, all the things that we're going through as a society, how relevant and awesome to have some females come talk about this. I was listening to a podcast a couple weeks ago, completely unrelated and the episode was on feminism but it was two men talking about feminism and like if you can imagine me slow Perfect. blinking my car stereo like just slow <laughs> blinking at them like, like if you are bedridden with obesity god bless you but i'm not going to come to you to tell me how to shed those extra kilos 
You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. Just got like, I get so fired up when I hear someone who in my judgment is totally just the non-alcoholic hard drinker Mm -hmm. talking about how they, you know, read some inspirational book and now they don't drink anymore and they go to meetings and, and it's like, you don't know. We don't have the same experience. My first instinct when we're looking at two wives, the first time that it's presented to me in AA, I protest. And I think I'm looking at all of AA to find what is objectionable to me, because first of all, I don't fucking want any of this. I don't want AA. I don't want a female sponsor. I don't want God. You know, The only reason I came here in the beginning was because I was in so much pain sober I had nowhere else to go. So when I walk into the room and I'm presented with this room of old, half old people, you know, I do the thing where I scan the room. I'm like, well, I like zero of you. And then I'm presented this book. I see God on the wall in old English writing. First of all, this is not, I have neck tattoos. This is not my space. All right. I'm not feeling safe here. <laughs> and then we're, we're reading this book that calls me a woman folk. All right. I kind of like that. I'm going to identify as that now. <laughs> we can change my name to woman folk right now. I fucking <laughs> No, that's like part of my pronouns. I'm woman slash folk. <laughs> yeah, I love it. You know, the, the first time I read through the chapter to wives, it was like, Oh my God. You know, I thought it was like talking down to the little wife, you know, mm-hmm. saying that, oh, you should never be angry and cheerfully see him through some more sprees mm-hmm. and all of that. But then I think about, you know, I was the drunk husband. And I think back to my drinking days and when I was struggling to just not drink, you best believe. I would think it was good advice for my husband to never get angry and to cheerfully Mm -hmm. see me through me, you know, fucking up again, because that, that support as well as like not buying my bullshit, but not pleading with me to stop or pouring my alcohol down the drain. Like he did the things that helped me get to the point where I was willing enough to come into AA. Mm -hmm. And I think when we're looking at this the first time, you know, we have to look at why this is so objectionable. And I think coming here with some of my girl gang, strap on your tampons and get our <laughs> fuck the patriarchy keychains. And, you know, let's talk about what it actually says here. When we started talking about this a couple of years ago, this or last year, talking about this idea about doing a takeover of two wives, I asked some other big book women, you know, oh, do you want to do this? And they said no, uh, because of the chapter we're talking about. And I think that unless I have a new experience with this stuff, a woman like me is is really going to feel alienated and isolated. But today, you know, what I see in this chapter is one of the coolest chapters in the book. Like that ruffles some feminist feathers. I get it. But ruffle, ruffle, like there's some amazing deep shit in here that if we're going to pass over because some of the language used, you know, it was pointed out to me that Bill W. was educated by people that were raised in the 1800s. If we're just looking at the surface level, things that that I find objectionable personally, I'm going to miss this this gold mine of recovery and principles that are laid out in this chapter. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like that phrase, uh, what is it? Take what you want and leave the rest. Like, I don't have to 
love everything that's written in this book, but there's a lot of gems in there that I'd be missing out on if I had to just keep, what is it? Like, look for the similarities, not the differences. Like, look Mm. for the shit that's going to save my fucking life in this book and stop worrying about, you know what I mean? The pronouns Mm -hmm. are, you know, before this, um, Mrs. Jones and I were talking and it's like, you know, I, I am a feminist and, and there are a lot of things that, you know, bother me with this book and this chapter, but like what we were saying for me, it's just like, man, I can't like, just because I don't like the way certain things are written, doesn't mean that I'm not going to carry this message. and doesn't mean that this program and this book hasn't saved millions of lives. So it's yeah. like, I'm, I feel torn sometimes. Like you were saying, there's so many gems in here. And, and actually for the time that this was written, this, this chapter is pretty damn progressive. Back in 1939, how many people were getting divorced? How many, how many women were, um, supporting themselves and yet this chapter actually suggests that if you're you know if your husband won't stop drinking and you need to leave him go ahead and leave him yeah exactly and like and who said that back then so i always say that about the progressiveness of this book in general for the time like like Mm -hmm. to not have an exclusivity based on sex gender things brought about in the original tradition three like um, this this wasn't normal. Women weren't. If if you and I were alcoholic in 1920, we would have just been stoned to death. So the fact that like that we have some place to go in general, this is an incredibly inclusive, progressive textbook, in my opinion. Absolutely. So I know you're going to know this, Mrs. Jones. I know you're going to know this. Tell me, did Bill W. write this chapter because <laughs> Lois refused? <laughs> He did. And actually what I heard was that he asked Anne, Dr. Bob's wife, to write this chapter. He didn't even ask Lois. He didn't even ask his wife. (laughs) But I think he doesn't want to hear what she has to say. (laughs) I know. You know, and here's here's the thing. This is this was written, you know, again, years before Al Anon was founded. And and Al-Anon was founded by Lois, so it's been suggested that if she had written this chapter, mm-hmm. there would be no solution in it. She right. was still sick at that time. So I'm grateful that it was written the way it was written. And yes, we know it was written by a man. Okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. That's fine. It's so funny. I was actually watching that movie, My Name is Bill W. with a sponsee of mine. Obviously, in the book, we, we read the story, but like when it's on, when you see, you get the visual and just how much shit she put up with. Yeah. Like the whole time, I'm like, man, this bitch is sick. Like yeah. every time, yes. like, come on, girl, <laughs> like get your shit together, leave his ass. And she just stays. And I'm like, oh, man, people, you know, people will be like, oh, well, you know, my, my boyfriend and I got sober together. And And so people will reference that and be like, see, you can come to Alcoholics Anonymous as a couple and get sober together. But that's like the exception, not the rule. Just like Lois and Bill, that's the exception, not the rule. Most of the the husbands or whatever we're using for the sake of this chapter, like the way that they refer to them, like the drunk husband, it's rare that he gets well. And so your your life is is ruined if you stay, you know? Mm. Yeah. The Al-Anon alcoholic relationship, it is the exception for it to Mm -hmm. make it long-term. It's not the rule. 
Absolutely. Exactly. And I think this chapter as well starts to kind of shine a little bit of light on those alcoholics who don't believe that they hurt anyone with their drinking. (laughs) If you think think that you haven't hurt anyone with your drinking, I suggest you quietly go sit in an Al-Anon meeting because (laughs) the truth is is that we break these people. That's the truth. My active alcoholism baroque other human beings and i didn't oh my god no um one of our mutual friends agent x um shared in a meeting the other night that he suggests to his sponsees that they read this chapter in between filling out columns three and four in the resentment inventory damn girl that's a great idea one of the things that i was directed to you very recently um as i'm dealing with alcoholism in my direct family at the moment was to write out the principles that are in two wives. Again, I didn't know that what that was up until a couple of years ago. I was making it up. So let me just say, if you're one like me, who's not sure what a principle is, principle <laughs> is the rule. I didn't really get that. What are some of the principles in this chapter? And I have four pages. Disagree without criticism patience, tolerance, understanding, love. Like there's so much stuff in this chapter that if we're just going to gloss over it, we're really going to miss out. Yeah. Yes. Yes. In fact, that you reference a couple of the passages that I absolutely love and that, that place on 118 where it says um, his way, talking about the drunk husband, his ways of thinking and doing are the habits of years, patience, tolerance, understanding, and love. Mm-hmm. are the watchwords show him these things in yourself and they will be reflected back to you from him and i think the first time i read that i i somehow thought of like being a wallflower or a doormat you know just letting someone walk all over you but you're just patient and tolerant anyway and that is not ha- what it really means and since i started demonstrating patience and tolerance holy shit my husband is like the most amazing, patient, tolerant man. Mm-hmm. And it's just being reflected back to me. I'm no longer stepping on his toes every five minutes and he's no longer retaliating. Holy right. shit. <laughs> it really works. Well, none of AA, none of the steps and the principles are about me changing anybody else's behavior, even though I find it objectionable. What's right. the truth? I lack serenity in my la- life. Why do I lack serenity? Well, it's because I am really busy playing God in your life and in the lives of others. Therefore, some people don't like that. You know, I remember I was directed <laughs> once by a friend who said, I was having problems with my marriage and he, and she goes, you know, why don't you go home and just note every time you're critical of your partner? And I was like, Ooh, that sounds really dangerous, but I'll tell you what, I went home (laughs) and I like asked him, I go, babe, every time I criticize you, I actually want you to point it out this weekend. And I kid you not. I was silent basically the entire weekend because I realized that everything that was coming out of my mouth was a criticism. I had no idea. AA, all these things revealed to us aren't because I was doing them on purpose or knowingly. I didn't understand how I had broken the the non-alcoholics in my life. I didn't understand that until, you know, we have some some evidence and some things like how patient tolerance, understanding and loving are you 
in your relationship? Well, first of all, I didn't believe that he had feelings for some reason. Yeah. You know, this these relationships, as I find in my sex inventory, each human being I've placed in a position to give to me and make me feel a certain way. And if they don't do that, according to sometimes what I need you to psychically know I need from you, or just, you know, if you, if you don't fill me up, then I'm going to turn you off like a light switch. And that was abundantly clear in those, those sex inventories. And, and I didn't know that I wasn't being patient, tolerant, understanding, and loving. I just knew that I feel broken all the time and that sometimes other people make me feel better. So everything was seeing what I could take from those people. I can, I can totally relate. And if we gloss through this chapter because of the language, we're going to miss on miss out on these basic principles throughout this entire chapter, including giving rather than getting will be the guiding principle. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and I, for the longest time I had these Mrs. Jones blinders on could only see things from my very narrow self-centered perspective and had no idea. Dirtbag. I don't know if you're in a relationship, but this stuff is absolutely not. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> You're all shut your dirty whore mouth. Okay, when you're coming to that word, that's that's not for me. <laughs> no, I'm not ready for that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like me I have with all of to do. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely not. Uh, but again, you know, I think single women as well. When we're looking at this chapter, like, okay irrelevant. But here's the deal. This is what we can use for sponsorship as well. This is what I use at the beginning of sponsorship when I'm an evangelist. And I feel like all, I don't know, I'm a big fan of evangelism at the beginning. So you can learn how to not sponsor. So you can learn how (laughs) not to be humble. Right. So so this early evangelism where you're thrust out into the world, sponsoring other people and uh, they don't get well, the fuck, like completely shocked. (laughs) How dare we can go back to this paragraph and it's telling me how to deal with other alcoholics. My job after step three is to grow an understanding and effectiveness of how to be of service to God and the people around me. The people around me are drunks. The people around me are families of drunks. Mm-hmm. And today as a recovered person, I do spend time with these families. Again, these people that we tornado our way through their lives, they are desperately seeking some assistance here. But unfortunately, as someone participates in listening in Al-Anon on occasion due to my own now direct family connections with active alcoholism, it's telling me some really important things here. At such moments, we forget that alcoholism is an illness over which we could not possibly have any power. I am powerless over alcohol in your life in my family's life, in AA people's lives, in my friends' lives. I have to be reminded of this shit just because I have a solution for myself or the solution that works to alcoholism doesn't mean that I have any power when it comes to alcoholism and AA. Yeah. In the next chapter in the family afterward, you know, there's that, that great line, why shouldn't we laugh? We have recovered and been given the power to help others. So mm-hmm. I have, I'm not 
powerless or powerful. I just can tap into this power that can help other people, but the results are in God's hands. I can't make anyone get sober or get them drunk. Mm-hmm. I can just try to guide them and be that conduit so that they can build a relationship with their higher power. So I think we'll go to my reading. My reading's a little bit long, ladies, but um, it's on page 108. And I'm going to read The Four Husbands. So I didn't actually get too much protestation to this chapter when I first got here, simply because I, I read this part with my sponsor maybe like the second day that I was sober. So the way that I use it, the way that she used it is I feel like these four husbands are the best description of the progressiveness of alcoholism in the entire book, because it alludes to the progressive nature of my illness. So husband one, your husband may be only a heavy drinker. His drinking may be constant or it may be heavy only on certain occasions. Perhaps he spends too much money for liquor. It may be slowing him up mentally and physically, but he does not see it. Sometimes he is a source of embarrassment to you and his friends. He's positive he can handle his liquor, that it does him no harm, that drinking is necessary in his business. He'd probably be insulted if he were called an alcoholic. This world is full of people like him. Some will moderate or stop altogether and some will not. Of those who keep on, a good number will become true alcoholics after a while. Husband number two, your husband is showing lack of control for he is unable to stay on the water wagon even when he wants to. He often gets entirely out of hand when drinking. He admits this is true, but is positive he will do better next time. He's begun to try with or without your cooperation, various means of moderating or staying dry. Maybe he's beginning to lose his friends. His business may suffer somewhat. He's worried at times and is becoming aware he cannot drink like other people. He sometimes drinks in the morning and throughout the day also to hold his nervousness and check. He is remorseful after serious drinking bouts and tells you he wants to stop. But when he gets over his spree, he begins to think once more how he can drink moderately next time. We think this person is in danger. These are the earmarks of a real alcoholic. Perhaps he can still tend to business fairly well. He has by no means ruined everything. As we say amongst ourselves, he wants to want to stop. Number three, this husband has gone much further than number two, though once like number two, he became worse. His friends have slipped away. His home is a near wreck and he cannot hold a position. Maybe the doctor has been called in and the wary round of sanitariums and hospitals has begun. He admits he cannot drink like other people, but does not see why. He clings to the notion that he will yet find a way to do so. He may have come to the point where he desperately wants to stop, but cannot. His case presents additional questions, which we shall try to answer for you. You can be quite hopeful of a situation like this. Husband number four, you may have a husband of whom you completely despair. He has been placed in one institution after another. He is violent or appears definitely insane when drunk. Sometimes he drinks on the way home from the hospital. Perhaps he has had delirium tremens. Doctors may shake their head and advise you have him committed. Maybe you have already been obliged to put him away. This picture may not be as dark as it looks. Many of our husbands are just as far gone, yet they got well. That's one of my favorite sentences in this entire book. I feel like this part of the the book explains to me this progressive nature of my illness. And um, one of the things that I see in AA is, is what I call, we're picking them before they're ripe. 
All right. A lot of people mm-hmm. coming into AA and, and not ready yet, because as we say, they want to want to stop. And until I am self-driven, as it says over and over in this chapter alone, you know, until I have this need and desire of myself, um, nobody can fix me. No human power is going to be able to spoon feed me a solution, which I don't want. So, so showing that alcoholism, I didn't start out bedridden. I ended there, but I didn't start there showing that I used to just be embarrassing. I used to just get crazy once in a while. My drinking was constant, but sometimes it wasn't, you know, so I would tell you that I needed to party for work. I'm a hairdresser. You can totally tell now, huh? As soon as I said it, you're both like, yeah, that fucking makes sense. <laughs> I get it. I get it. <laughs> I see that. <laughs> I had to drink. Okay. <laughs> but it did get worse and worse and worse saying that, that we can't always pick them before they're ripe. You could not have given me the solution to alcoholism before the, my solution to sobriety which was alcohol, stopped working for me. You could not manipulate me into the solution stopping working. You could not bribe me. You could not guilt trip me. You could not throw me out hard enough. You could not fire me fast enough. Until my solution to sobriety stopped working, I am at the mercy of myself and alcohol, and there's nothing you can do about it. And it's a really good news situation, however, because when I start dying of this illness, as it says, many of our husbands were just as far gone, yet we got well. There's hope there. There's immediately hope there. You can recover from alcoholism at any point, but there's no husband number five. So you're a husband number four. Me too, homegirl. That's good news. You can recover. Bad news, there's no husband number five. We do die of this. And one of these husband number four things that I just have to bring up because it's super relevant. Um, I didn't want to admit I was a husband number four. And here's why. Because it uses the word insane. And I don't know about you, but every time a guy broke up with me, they'd call me a psycho. So I'm like, I am, I am adamantly offended by the word psycho. I'm adamantly (laughs) offended when men call me insane, you know, you're fucking crazy. They used to call me crazy agent X, right? And I was so offended (laughs) by that. Even though everything I did was insane, you know, I'm still so offended by it. So, so when I'm looking at this husband number four, I'm like, no, I'm a three, I'm a three, I'm a three. And it says, well, are you violent when you're drinking? Well, yeah. The end of my drinking, I was hitting my husband in the face while he was holding my baby. You know, that's who I am. Mm -hmm. I'm violent. Are you insane when you're drunk? Absolutely. The things that I'm I'm doing when I'm sober. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, you should have seen me on Thursday, dead cold sober. (laughs) Isn't that the best? One institution after another, you know, that looks like sponsees who have been to 60 rehabs. That looks like, you know, going to therapy and counselors and drug counselors and, and treatment and, and, these are the, the institutions that we're talking about today. They no longer look like insane asylums like they had in the mm-hmm. 30s. But this is the weary round of sanitariums, hospitals, doctors, fucking lawyers, you know, court doc- courts that, that an alcoholic does go through in the progression of alcoholism. So it's still totally relevant today. It's exactly the same now as it was then. It just has different lipstick on. 
exactly exactly and whenever i um i read the book with a sponsee and we come across the word sanitarium or asylum i just substitute treatment center because that's that's where we go nowadays you know it is absolutely relevant the backseat driver podcast with dex farmer This week on the Backseat Driver Podcast with Dex Farmer, clinical psychologist, YouTube personality, and recovery author, Igloo Nelson. And I think there's a a common uh, practice that goes on in a lot of different areas of of recovery these days where, you know, we talk a lot about trying to clean up the past. And, you know, I think one thing that's missed Mm -hmm. in that cleaning up of the past is a recognition that the person who's cleaning up the past really deserves some credit and some kudos because those are difficult conversations to have uh, when you're going to somebody... Right. And uh, and we need to make sure we're honoring. And so finally, what I would say and, is, um, and, and I that, think, and not, not to interrupt well, you there, yeah. But what I'm thinking, here no, no, you go. Is I, you know, I lost track. Just you go ahead, get back on track. No, you go. Well, I, I just as as for as for me, as for someone who's who's been in long term recovery, long term, um, there's always a feeling of, of you're falling short, uh, no matter you, you know how hard you. You, you know how hard you try, right? And um, I just, I, you know, I, I always thought that you didn't like me. The truth is, Dex, I, I actually don't like you. Oh, I. Oh, I guess that's why I thought you didn't like. Uh, no, no, Dex. Uh, no, I uh, never, never wanted you to think I didn't. I didn't like you. I just, you know, I, I do. Oh. Have a, a career and a family, and uh, you know, I couldn't respond to your. Oh, you got. Oh, you got me. I don't. I, got... I lost track of how many emails and text messages you sent, but, uh, but no, I, I, I definitely, uh, I definitely do. Oh, you got me good. Like you, and 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 appreciate you. And again, I just, you know, thanks for having me on the podcast. Podcast. It's uh, it's it's really oh, great. Well, well, that's the igloo I know. So, what uh, what do you what do you you have a book now? A new book? Thanks for asking about the book, Dex. Oh. Oh. Um, you know, uh, I'm really proud of the the work. Oh. Uh, you know, for those uh, listening, oh. um, you know, I, I spent a lot of time on my yeah. on my book, and uh, oh. you know, it really is recovery is all about finding yourself and building a relationship with yourself and discovering who you. Are. It really is all about. It is really. It's all about you. Um, and uh, oh, oh, all right, uh, right. Uh, oh, no, I love that. I love that. That's I. I'm. I'm. I'm all about that. All about that. What is often missed in some of the other paradigms is that they put too much of a focus on the on the other person. You know, they put too much of a focus on on the person that was harmed, uh-huh. oh. because ultimately, if we go back far enough into our histories, mm-hmm. we can see that the harm was really done to us. To us, all oh, right. Um, right. You know, a- alcoholics, addicts. I don't even like to use those terms. You know, no. outdated. You know, it's um, outdated. It's really victims. You know, we are victims. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Perfect, perfect word. The Backseat Driver Podcast with Dex Farmer. Available wherever you get your podcasts. I love translating the big book with sponsees because there's, that's what I always say like to a lot of newcomers. I'm like, listen, 
this book is chock full of old timey language. It's really confusing. Like consider your sponsor, your translator. Do Mm. not try to read this book by yourself. Like you will want to rip your eyeballs out. Um, (laughs) You have someone that that speaks the language and can translate it. It makes so much more sense. And um, going back to what you had said, Agent X, about picking them before they're ripe we always talk about this in meetings and it's in the book, like one alcoholic talking to another, like we don't sit them down and talk about the consequences of drinking. And like, it's not like an intervention, like we qualify ourselves and we show them that there's a solution. Like, like you were saying, we can't like, all we can do is plant seeds. All we can do is identify and hope that they can see that like we were there once. And also I am a husband for as well. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, and question for you, dirtbag. Now, as you are Mm -hmm. translating the big book, what is the modern word for whoopee party? (laughs) oh my gosh it's very funny i had this conversation with someone else um actually another um like person who makes memes or whatever and i cannot we looked it up because they have a big book dictionary which i need to get like me too because it has all like all of those types of um definitions in there but yeah like of course i thought it was a like a key party like a sex party but there's actually a different definition to it did you say tea party like a sex party like it's the same thing key key party like they used to put the keys in the bowl (laughs) and that's like a 70s thing i love it i know man i'm an old how uncool am i that i have no idea what that is and i'm violently jealous i'm like i've never invited to <laughs> I kind of want to go to like a high tea orgy. That just sounds really cool. Like a I like that. dress orgy. <laughs> a tea, a tea key party. Yeah. <laughs> so whoopee oh, party. God. I was like, absolutely, it's an orgy. That's the only thing I could think of. <laughs> no, Plain it's something else. I, I did, and then I forgot because my memory is shit. <laughs> Well, I need an English to English translation of this book. I need someone who's gone before. And um, I was speaking on uh, another podcast to to a historian of AA. And, you know, he said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give this book to most women unattended. Completely relate to that because there are things in here that I need someone who's come before me to give me an English tran- English translation and about how they deal with some of the things that are objectionable. Because again, ne- even though even though we've changed like woman folk to now be a pronoun, which I'm now adoring, you know, <laughs> even though we've changed it, um, some of that stuff really bothers me. And if I can find something to object to in AA, I'm going to rally around that. If I am not smashed by alcoholism, and if I have some strong ass, independent feminist women sitting here saying, listen to me, sweet pea, darling cupcake, I (laughs) fucking get it. All right. I get it. But here's the deal. I understand what alcoholism is. Okay. I'm armed with some facts about alcohol. And this progression of alcoholism is what I have. I have a hopeless case, a terminal disease that will kill me, that will kill me. And I tried everything else. But guess what stuck? 
these principles, not these mm-hmm. words. I don't know if I met Bill W. in a meeting today, I'd probably fight his ass. Oh, I right? hate him. He yeah. seems like a 13th stepper <laughs> to me. Oh, 100%. Okay. I may fight this man, but guess what? This idea works and mine doesn't. So Mm -hmm. I understand and coming at you from a place of, listen, I have neck tattoos. Okay. Like I, don't you like that? I always talk about my neck tattoos. It's a flower. (laughs) I was like, that's number two. I act like it's tough tattoos. It's not. I have puffer fish on my arm. Okay. Like I am a child. (laughs) (laughs) But if I find something objectionable, you know, I always say this, like, if you people say things like, oh, AA is a cult. Well, f- listen to me. I am so riddled with terminal alcoholism that if this was a cult and you were offering me comfortable sobriety, all I request is that we wear white because it looks good on me. You know, like it was, sign yeah. me up for a cult. Yeah. Sign me up. Yeah, absolutely. I wasn't going to do AA. And when I finally was going to do AA, I wasn't going to do the God stuff. Discount the entire book or discount this chapter because of the antiquated language. I also was like, well, God can't be real because there are pedophile priests and, and, you know, money grubbing televangelists. So therefore, the whole thing is a crock of shit. And I had to be beaten down by alcoholism to the point where I was willing to walk into an AA meeting. And that was the last fucking thing I wanted to do. And then I was willing to hear the word God. And I thought that was the last thing I wanted to do. Thank God it works. When I first got here, I I wasn't looking for God. I was um, looking for how to stop being in pain all the time sober. And so when a woman approached me, you know, that's offensive. It's offensive that, that a woman is going to be the one to save my life. Um, it's offensive that I'm going to have to look at every single part of myself, because if this was therapy um, and you were to come to me to stop drinking and I were to say, well, for $200 an hour, I'm going to tell you how this shit is your fault. You know, you're not going to come back. That's why this is so wildly different than anything else. Our four-step experience, getting to look at what are my protestations about the words of the big book about W himself. Do you know that I have, I, I'm a fact checker. Okay. I fact check everything. And everyone's like, oh, Bill W is promiscuous. And I was like, prove it, you know, show me, show me that. Cause is that just a, a bullshit or was he Mrs. Jones? I know you'll probably know this. Did he actually leave some of the AA benefits to his mistress? So I have heard about that from some AA history buffs, but yeah. also that Lois knew. Yeah. And, and that she was fully aware of the sitch and was down with it like she was fine and so it wasn't it wasn't some like insidious secret thing like he had some secret separate life it was just this is who the man is and i i don't know that to be a fact but heard it from some reliable sources 
I saw her name listed on something. You know what? I've been married a really long time though. So I get that. If you're just, he wants a girlfriend, just that's fine. Just whatever. (laughs) And to to me, honestly, like the stuff that we, that we know about Bill, how flawed he was. I mean, holy shit. Like in his own story, he's like, I wasn't really, you know, there was no infidelity. You lied. Besides your whiskey dick. Yeah. No. Exactly. Exactly. I would have, but I couldn't get it up like Mm -hmm. i mean it's like he he's such a douchebag and to me that makes this book even more divinely inspired because there's no fucking way bill wrote this there's no way there's no way Bill, bill came up all on his own of these spiritual principles you know no alcoholic is gonna be like i think i think the problem is me (laughs) yeah exactly exactly and the way that forced up uh, the way i it, it turned everything that i believed on its head you know i had this list of villains in my first column and then i find out that they're just human beings and that I am also imperfect and suddenly i'm no longer a victim and there was one resentment that i had carried for 30 years and I had done endless amount of therapy on it. My sponsor got me through that resentment within a matter of minutes using this book. Holy shit. 30 year resentments that were gone in an hour and that have never come back. I like to add that precursor. Right. Yes. Gone. Yeah. That should be in the testimonials for the big book. (laughs) 30 year resentment gone in 10 minutes and (laughs) never to return. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I can already think of some blurbs for the fifth edition dust jacket. Yeah. Put me in the new one. I need you to accept me and my swearing. (laughs) Absolutely. This is a 21st century baby. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, this, the not swearing and meeting things, here's why it pisses me off. If you're going to set any l- bar for me to reach to be accepted in your meeting, I'm going to fucking fail it. I'm an alcoholic, right? Like, if you're putting any rules, boundaries, and limitations on me being accepted into your meeting, that it's going to be a hard pass for me, including you finding my words objectionable. So I say the word fuck today because it doesn't cause me any pain. I don't need to do work around shit that's not objectionable to me today. <laughs> so so I would love just a little bit more F words in this and a little less these and nows. But here again, it doesn't matter what I find objectionable in the book. It matters that the solution is in there, that I didn't make it up and that I'm not going to get my opinion, my thoughts or my ideas wrapped in here because you don't want my opinion about recovery. This is your life. Okay. Yeah. I'm a hairdresser. Mm-hmm. If you want my opinion about a fringe, about whether to dye your hair red <laughs> after a breakup, the answer is going to be no, but I'm a person to come to for hair advice, right? When it comes to recovery, you don't want my opinion about any of this stuff. My opinion on changing the big book, the first 164 pages is a hard pass. Why? Mm -hmm. Because what human power is going to come back in and rewrite a program that has a hundred percent success rate for a hundred percent of people who do a hundred percent of the work. Not me. You don't want me rewriting this shit. All right. Exactly. And it was divinely written, you know, 80 plus years ago 
let's keep it exactly as it is. And there's a, there's a little um, blurb in um, the chapter two employers that really resonates with me when, when I want to be objectionable or I'm working with somebody who can pick out the flaws in here. Um, it's on page 144. It says, perhaps you are not quite in sympathy with the approach we suggest. By no means do we offer it as the last word on this subject, but so far as we are concerned, it has worked with us. After all, are you not looking for results Damn. rather than methods? Shit. Yeah. I tried my own methods and I had to be like, fuck, I need results. Mm-hmm. So I can't get too picky about the methods anymore. Everything else failed. AA for me is doing a lot of things that I don't necessarily like to do, but as a side effect, as, as the paycheck of the work that I don't really like doing is this unimaginably comfortable sobriety. I am comfortable. I no longer need a solution to being sober. I tried to get that my whole life and AA's been the only thing that's been able to deliver that dirtbag do you have your uh do you want to read your your passage so mine's pretty short and it's just kind of something i wanted to relate to like our little blurbs earlier in the book but on page 105 we have been unselfish and self-sacrificing we have told innumerable innumerable lies to protect our pride and our husband's reputations we have prayed we have begged we have been patient we have struck out viciously we have run away we have been hysterical. We have been terror-stricken. We have sought sympathy. We have had retaliatory love affairs with other men. And then, let's see, this part reminded me so much of, like, on page 61, he may be kind, considerate, patient, mm. generous, even modest and self-sacrificing. On the other hand, he may be mean, egotistical, selfish, and dishonest. And then a little ways down that page, It says, what is his basic trouble? Is he not really a self-seeker even when trying to be kind? So flipping back to page 105 into Wives, when it says we have been unselfish and self-sacrificing, I have a little arrow there and say, it just says, have we though? Because, (laughs) (laughs) because all of these things that are happening, like the, the wife, you know, the, the partner of the alcoholic, like, are they not self-seeking? Do you know what I mean? Like trying Mm -hmm. to change. And I don't have that much experience in Al-Anon. Like I read the literature and I've been to a few meetings, but I'm by no means an Al-Anon warrior, but is it not the exact same thing, but with people instead of alcohol? So it's like, I... I understand what they're trying to do here because if the Al-Anon, quote Al-Anon, is reading this, I'm sure they feel that way about themselves, that they've been unselfish, they've been self-sacrificing. But when you really like get to the underlying themes of it, I feel like it's just self-seeking to try to, to change that person or to, quote, help the alcoholic. I w- was married for eight years um, in my active alcoholism and... When I got to AA, you know, I'd go to everyone and be like, he's perfect. My husband's perfect. My husband's so amazing. He's so perfect. Like this is all this perfect perfectness about him. And finally a woman looked at me and she goes, if he's so perfect, what is he doing with you? Yes, exactly. (laughs) So, so wait a sec. You told me that you are a bedridden, raging, angry, violent, abusive wife, yet this man's fine, right? So, so what are these relationships? But just to throw out a little of my 
experience with that is um, I didn't see me doing it. I didn't see that I was breaking my favorite toy or how I was doing it. I looked at the whole world as to be my problem. And when, you know, I kept getting things I wanted or hitting my goal weight or getting the house I want or the car I want or all these things I want, like I, I have everything that society tells me to be happy yet. I'm still not. So it must, that's when I turned on my husband. Well, it must be your fault, you know? And so let me start picking apart things that you're doing that must be contributing to my discomfort in life. Well, maybe you should help out around the house more. Actually, no, you're doing it wrong. Maybe you should spend a little bit more time with kids. Actually, you're doing it wrong. Never mind. Maybe I need you to make more money. So he'd go get a new job. And I'd be like, eh, you're actually gone all the time. And now you're not paying attention to me. And I'd be like, you know, why don't you work from home so you can pay attention to me? And then I'd be like, no, thanks. You're annoying me and you're in my space, you know? So slowly but surely, I started chipping away at this man, this man's self-confidence, his ego, his ability to make decisions, his ability to run his own show that wasn't wrapped up in alcoholism. It says we are a tornado and we roar through the lives of other people. And so one day when I finally got sober and woke, up, I looked to my left to see a man that I didn't recognize. I said to him, listen to me, you no longer have to play God in my life. Just go back to being, he was so self-confident when I met him. He was borderline arrogant. He was kind of a dick, which I found incredibly attractive. And so he goes like, "Uh, I can't. I don't know how to make a decision because every decision for eight years I've ever made has been wrong. I made him, I made this man sick. And so he had to go to to Al-Anon and he found out a lot of things about himself that he's been in relationships with alcoholics and people with mental illnesses his whole life. Why? Why would you do that? So he gets to find through Al-Anon these things that he actually is trying to control the alcoholic. And now that I'm seeing this in my direct family member with this alcoholism, my intentions are good. Okay. I just don't want you to die, kid. I just want you to fucking live and not die in a gutter of a heroin addiction. But even though my intentions are good, I am still trying to control the alcoholic. Even though my intentions are good in AA with my sponsees with AA meetings, I'm still trying to control alcoholics. We have a little Allen on in us, you know, I'm still oh, selfish. Absolutely. I'm still self-seeking. I'm still self-seeking. I'm still playing God in my life and yours. And so are they, but here's the deal. Causes it causes chaos, doesn't it? The serenity in me is not there because of the story that of playing God that's running through my mind all the time. Playing God in my life and yours, and it just simply doesn't work. Agreed. Agreed. You know, and everybody does that. That's mm-hmm. why one oh, we were talking earlier about, you know, what things did you not realize for a while? It took a while to cope. On page 60, where it says the first requirement is that we be convinced that any life, life. run on self can hardly be a success. For the longest time I read that, it was like my life, you know, yeah. and it's like, no, any <laughs> life, any, and we all do it. Alcoholic, non-alcoholic, we're yeah. all trying to run yeah. the show. We're all bumping into each other, you know, working off different scripts, different ideas, and our motives are all good, yeah. <laughs> you know? And so sometimes you hear that phrase of check your motives. Mm, that's not fail safe for me because I, I always think that I'm being kind and I just want the best for everybody. If they would only do as I wished. We will all be happy. Just follow the instructions of my crazy thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, when I'm looking at 
two wives as well. It's just such a wonderful example of the baffling feature of alcoholism. I talk about how confused I was at the end until it, a, no one had described to me what alcoholism is, you know, that no one had said the words phenomenon of craving to me before. In my early 20s, I could hit my my bullseye. You know, I could I could I could have my number of drinks, which is seven. And I say this all the time, like you guys are so pretty. <laughs> but if I could have seven, I would close my fucking laptop. There would be no podcast. I would just go drink seven drinks. And there was this time in my life that I could do that. And I I didn't understand why. I have a phobia of vomiting, really inconvenient as a chronic alcoholic, but um <laughs> I would, I wouldn't understand if I had nine drinks, I, I might throw up, you know, like I have a phobia, not a fear. So why am I drinking 10 drinks? You know, why am I drinking? If, if I drink this drink, I probably am going to have sex with that guy and he's hideous, you know, like, why would I do that? If I drink another drink, I'm not going to make it to work tomorrow and I'm broke. If I drink another drink, I'm not gonna be able to drive home. Like if I do this, knowing in my head that, that something bad is going to happen and then doing it anyways. Nobody had ever been able to explain that that's not circumstantial drinking, right? That, that that's the opposite right. of drinking over circumstance. That's actually taught. Oh, I stole this from, from you, Mrs. Jones. I talked mm -hmm. myself into a drink. Oh, yes. I've stolen that, by the way, months ago. Nice. I use it often, so thanks. Um, <laughs> so I keep talking myself into a drink, but then I talk myself into more drinks than I want. So I'm so baffled. On 107, it said, what had become of their judgment, their common sense, their willpower? Why could they not see that drinking meant ruin to them? Why was it when these dangers are pointed out that they agreed and then got drunk again immediately. And I'm like, that's how the people in our lives saw us as well, right? So the people that we're in relationships with, our family, our work, like everyone really wanted to like me. They did at work. I'm really <laughs> gregarious. I'm outgoing. I'm a good time. I'm actually pretty, um, pretty skilled at my trade. Like people really wanted to like me. So these people are like, if you get wasted later, you're not going to make it to work and we would like to pay you, you know? So all these people being <laughs> baffled by my alcoholism. Why, when you tell me, you know, you can look me in the face and be like, so last night you fought a cop, right? When you were drunk. So tonight, and I'm like, yeah, I did do that. Well, that was based on how much you drank. Yes, definitely. Okay. So maybe tonight, you should not drink that much. I'll be like, good plan. And then I'm <laughs> fighting a cop. <laughs> you, know? Yeah. you know, you know what I think the issue is, is that the others just don't understand that this time it will be different. And right. that's the disconnect. They just don't get it that this time I won't do those things, except of course I do. <laughs> yeah. Here's yeah. why. Let me present to you a presentation on how it's going to be different, right? PowerPoint. <laughs> a PowerPoint or how it's going to be the same. So I have these two, there's, there's three times I'm drinking. One is like, let me show you how it's going to be different this time. I used an exfoliating scrub on my skin. Therefore, <laughs> I probably won't fight you tonight. You know, I probably this won't sleep be... with your husband. 
this is going to be the fifth edition. It's going to be in the chapter three of uh, the fifth edition, and it's going to be exfoliating scrubs and different types of um, kombucha and all kinds of things. <laughs> we're gonna, which we're going to do recovery. <laughs> right? Exactly. Which makes about as much sense as changing people, places, and things. My, I, Colonic I mean, I, and I, juice fasting for recovery. Yes. yes. <laughs> yoga. Yes. Sober yoga will keep you, you sober. sober. I'm telling you how it's going to be different. Or I know it's going to be exactly the same. I got arrested, but the cop was hot. So it's okay if I get arrested because I'm going to justify why it's okay to get arrested. I'm going to keep lowering my own bar. And the third is that I will look down and have a drink in my hand and not be able to tell you any fucking clue how it got there, that I'm walking Mm -hmm. someplace with no intention to drink, with no thought of drinking, with no reason to drink, knowing goddamn well, if I take a drink, it's going to ruin the night. And then I look down and a wine is in my hand. So these three things that no human power is actually able to will away from me. I'm baffled, but you're baffled too. Oh, I stole this from you, dirtbag. You said, you don't like me. I don't like me. We're in agreement. <laughs> Grants. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we could be I best friends. It. We both hate me. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. And what you're describing, Agent X, is the insanity. Yeah. It's the, the insane thought that precedes the first drink. And I really try to drill that in to people I work with. You know, I just um, earlier today got to meet with a sponsee and she was beating herself up for for drinking again recently. And she kept saying it was so stupid. It was so stupid. I'm like, no, you are not stupid. You are insane. Mm. You are insane. Let's use that word. And the solution, sanity. Who can do that? God. God. Okay, let's mm-hmm. just dive back into the steps because it's not a matter of intelligence or lack thereof. For us to be re- restored to sanity in step 10, it means that I'm going to have to admit to myself that I'm insane. And that comes in step two, you know, came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. I actually have to kind of concede to this husband number four idea that I'm fucking nuts when it comes to alcohol. When it mm-hmm. comes to alcohol, I'm insane. That's kind of scary because there's no pill for insanity, is there? Well, maybe there is. Right. I don't know. I'm not. A, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> there's no pill for alcoholic insanity. You know, step one should be terrifying. One isn't good news, and step two, there's hope, but there's also the realization, like, holy shit, I need some magical invisible power to restore me mm-hmm. to sanity that I, I don't even think that I'm insane. <laughs> you know, it's a mind fuck, you know, but when you really internalize it, you want step three. And when you want step three, you're like, fuck yeah, I'll start writing, not eager and happy about it, but feel, but understanding the necessity of it. When you say it that way, I just started laughing, thinking like, here I am upset about the the words and the language of of the big book yet listen to me we are fucking insane and dying like like let's set it aside for a minute and look at the solution right because if there's a solution to this like i said if it was a cult and there's a solution to this madness in my head this heavy metal band going off at all times when i'm sober this 
deep-seated restlessness, irritability, discontentment, this, this desire to kill myself, you know, all the time. If you have a solution to that, um, let's set aside some of these, these objectionable ideas, you know, that are, that are kind of sprinkled throughout the book and look at the truth here is that there is a solution to it on offer. Dude, that's magical dope shit. Like, give me some of that. Right. Right. I mean, we, you know, in active alcoholism, I was fucking drowning Mm. and, you know, imagine like literally drowning and someone throws you a life preserver and you're like, but it says women folk on it. (laughs) (laughs) But Bill W was very promiscuous. Like, you know, (laughs) the other thing, he did. did, Oh, that's my favorite. Like, tell me you've never done the steps without telling me you've never done the steps. Well, Bill did LSD. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Suboxone isn't sober. I'm so sorry. (laughs) As if I wouldn't have done LSD if I were, you know, born in the fifties. You know what I mean? And I tried LSD. What are you talking about? It wasn't a solution. I tried it. (laughs) I've been on this podcast before and they didn't ask me the fuck Mary kill question. So I'm holding a bit of a resentment, but I'm going to kill it. And I'm going to ask you to fuck Mary kill Dak Shepard, Holly Whitaker, Russell Brand go. (laughs) Oh gosh. I, um, I like really was preparing myself. I thought you were going to say like Bill W, Dr. Bob and (laughs) Ebby. And I was like ready for it. (laughs) But I can't, oh gosh, I'm going to have to go second. I need to really think about this one. Oh, damn it. Damn it. I have to answer. <laughs> Can't it, can we can we change the name of the game to kill kill kill? kill. <laughs> I don't know who, you don't know who Holly is. Whitaker is. No. Uh, well, she's why we're doing this podcast today. So, um yeah, so it's the objection of 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 the patriarchal values of Alcoholics Anonymous and how AA is a bit of a predatory place. Well, here's the deal. AA is actually made up with a lot of men. 13-stepping and predatory behavior, absolutely, and I've seen and been experienced, is in Alcoholics Anonymous. We are the land of broken toys. You know, we aren't, we aren't filled with all the well people. My experience and evidence over my recovery is that I haven't been, I haven't been harmed in AA in any different set of circumstances than I've been harmed outside of AA as a woman. And if I'm going to spread fear about going into an AA meeting, there is no more danger of me sitting in an AA meeting than there is sitting at a bus stop, than there is driving in my car, going into my workplace, writing a book related to how me being a woman is a special set of circumstances to keep me out of the free help in AA, I find to be very dangerous. And um, why we're why we're here as recovered alcoholic women talking about how we are all included here, and that AA is an incredibly safe space—not only safe, but the safest I've ever found for everybody to be included. Full stop. Here's one. I want you to defend the slogan: "Meeting makers make it." <laughs> I've got this. I got this one. Okay, meeting makers make it. I have heard the origin of the slogan was the people who make the meeting possible 
are making wow. the possible. So the people who set up the chairs and make the coffee, the meeting makers make it the meeting, make the meeting happen. Wow. Oh, mm. I like that. Plot twist. Yeah. <laughs> and all right. I mean, yeah. That did not at Mike all. Like, she Mike just told us like factual information. We're like looking <laughs> sideways. Uh, I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> all right, dirtbag. I have one for you. Tell me your least favorite AA slogan and why. <laughs> I'm like meeting makers make it. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, Mrs. Jones. I'll ask you this one. Are you ready? Because this will be a really yes. hard one for you. Which okay. of the A's? in aa is most important first one. Oh wow defend <laughs> yeah because it does take one alcoholic mm-hmm. talking to another alcoholic right uh, to, because alcoholics are the only ones who experience that phenomenon of craving and that insane mental twist and mm-hmm. i believe that identification is key yeah agreed what about you, Dirtbag? They're both important, but I would have to agree. Obviously, the first A is, you know, why we're here. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think Mrs. Jones answered that perfectly. Here's a good one for you, Dirtbag. Bill or Bob? Is it real easy? I mean, yeah, I there you go. softball. <laughs> Two words. Lob it. <laughs> <laughs> this is T-ball. Okay. I'm giving you a T-ball question yes. here. Oh, Bill or Bob? You. Oh, God. I got to go with Bob, man. I like older men. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Jones, what is your answer to that? Are you Bill or Bob? Bill. Yeah, I'm Bill too, man. Bill, I'm a Bill. sleazy ass. I'm a liar. I'm a cheater. Well, wait. <laughs> yeah, get that sumptuous apartment. Well, no, <laughs> I would fuck. I would fuck Bill. I would marry Bob. Like, I mean, there's a very yes. big difference of what we're talking about here. <laughs> oh, fuck, Mary kill with Bill and Bob. We're fucking Bill because he's very experienced. Like, it's gonna be a good time, <laughs> and we're marrying Bob. He's a lovely, lovely man. But yeah, um, he's a sweetheart you but here's the deal is like i identify with bill on so many levels i identify with his profound imperfections even in recovery you know some of the stuff only learning on the back of this pain and i'm sorry that's just how i've been learning too you know (laughs) like just well that's what i mean i am bill so i can't be with a bill i gotta be with a bob (laughs) yeah we're all we're all scumbags like bill (laughs) (laughs) he is our people first question if your sponsor's sponsor doesn't know they're your sponsor's sponsor, could you stay sober? <laughs> I think you should answer that first because I have a very strong opinion about this very random question. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm just thinking about it. And the first thing that popped in my head is like, well, God's the only thing keeping me sponsors, or excuse me, God's the only thing keeping me sober. So it really doesn't fucking matter. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's correct. Is, so I know this is super controversial. Oh, me ruffling feathers again. Shocking. <laughs> um, you know, my job as a sponsor is to connect you to God as quickly as possible. And that I'm not that. Today, I have people, recovered people in my life who have the solution to alcoholism on board. They can direct me anytime I need. Sponsorship lineage is only important when I'm learning 
how to sponsor effective way through the big book. I'm going to need people in my life in a lineage or something like that. Only if the way that I'm teaching the book is is a specific way. You could be a completely effective AA sponsor with just the big book and a prayer. I don't need yep. anyone but me and God to help you get to your God. So it's, yeah, AA lineages are kind of a joke, to be honest. I remember when um we went through this, I went through the steps with my sponsor and she got a call from her sponsor and and she's on the phone with him and I'm going, tell him, I said, thank you for saving your life. So you can save mine. Tell him, tell him. I said, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And he's like, shut up. And she's like, shut the fuck up. You know? And every time I'd be like, you saved my life. And she's like, no, the fuck I didn't shut up. And then inevitably as a sponsor, you're going to have someone be like, you saved my life. I'm like, no, I didn't shut the fuck up. You know? Like, so, um, yeah, good question. Hard pass on it. <laughs> Perfect. When is the last time you thought about a drink? <gasps> Stop, Queen. Yes. <laughs> That's really funny because immediately my ego is like during my first meeting. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was like the opposite, where I was like, I, my cravings, you know, I was uh, struck sober, but then like, I don't know, I've had. Mine always go to, and it sounds so cliche, but I'm over it. Like on really hot days, like the beer thing, it will like, it's a fleeting thought and it's so dumb, but that will happen. And I like, I hate even admitting that mine is like the same as so many that I've heard in the rooms, like that same situation. But, but then it's like, it's literally just the thought because I lived my life that way so many years. And, but it's not like, wanting it it's just like oh cold beer on a hot day all right mm. let's go be of service bye would you say the sun is one of your triggers <laughs> um no uh mrs jones living is is my trigger <laughs> just like <laughs> when was last time i thought about having a drink well it was it i, I don't say how long i'm sober because i don't find it relevant to um recovery but it was quite a few years ago and the kids left to go trick-or-treating and as an American, you know, in Australia, they don't really do that here, but they left to go trick or treating. And my favorite thoughts were when I could drink beer and hand out candy on, on <laughs> Halloween. Yeah. What you, what you also said was like this, Oh, a cold beer would be nice. That's not the compulsion to drink. Is it? That's not our alcoholic thinking. That's mm -hmm. just human thinking. Yeah. That's how humans think about alcohol or eating a piece of cake or taking a hot bath. There are thoughts to do things in my life that aren't, aren't alcoholic, are they? You know, having mm -hmm. drinking a beer while I'm handing out candy, that's probably a, a pretty normal human thought that that might be a nice thing to do. You'll hear people in meetings be like, I had this thought that a cold beer would be great and I just had to run to a meeting. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's not the compulsion to drink. My compulsion to drink is I say, fuck it. And then I go drink no matter what. I can't not drink no matter what. I drink no matter what after I say fuck it. And so mm -hmm. when's the last time I've thought fuck it? Well, that was the last time I drank. Perfect. Yeah. When's the last time you had a thought to drink, Mrs. Jones? The last time it was several years ago. I remember exactly when it was. I was about two years sober, out of town with my husband. 
and um, I was out of town for work and I had some unchecked fear around the upcoming work events. Mm. And my husband and I went out to dinner and I suddenly had this hardcore belief that I could not take a bite of food unless I had a glass of wine. Wow. And I knew it was insane, irrational. I had that parallel with my sound reasoning that would insanely trivial excuse for picking up a drink. And I prayed and within seconds, the thought came, that's the same stuff. Yeah. And I knew that those were like words in my head. That's the same stuff. And I knew what that meant that a glass of wine with my dinner, that alcohol is the same shit that I, you know, would hide behind my computer monitor at work. I'd throw up under my desk. I'd, I'd look at my bloated face in the mirror and uncontrollably cry, begging myself to not drink. It's the same stuff. But suddenly I was able to eat my food with, you know, fucking Pellegrino. It's absolutely fine. Well, I hate to end this, but I, th- I feel like we are podcast greater than yourself now and that we're just, we've just taken over, but we should just, I mean, we'll, we'll see y'all next week. Right. <laughs> sounds good i'll be there (laughs) thank you guys for doing this with me just to you know plug ourselves you can find me agent x at my very mediocre but incredibly fun podcast uh that's not in the book you can find that on on spotify or anywhere where podcasts are sold and then dirtbag sponsor i'm sorry but this girl I laugh out loud. Like you can scroll dirtbag sponsor on Instagram. And if you don't laugh out loud, like we, we, we aren't the same, you know, like, like we probably <laughs> won't get along. Like, don't ask for my number. Oh, thank you. <laughs> is it, what is, what is your actual handle at Instagram? So people can find you. So it's at dirtbag sponsor. And then just recently I created another handle at the spiritual dirtbag where I'm just kind of. <sighs> Playing with a little spirituality for weirdos and seeing where that goes. <laughs> Amazing. And then Mrs. Jones, we can find you. You can find her through through us as well. You're also on my podcast at That's on the Book. Thanks everyone for listening. And I'm sure you'll be back next week for more podcasts greater than yourself. Thank you, you guys. Bye. Thank you for having us. A podcast greater than yourself was created by recovered alcoholics. All involved in the creation of this podcast are active members of Alcoholics Anonymous who wish to carry the message of our own recovery to those who still suffer. We do not claim to represent Alcoholics Anonymous. All comments are from our own experiences as alcoholics who have recovered by following the directions for the 12 steps found in the book Alcoholics Anonymous. Thanks for listening.